Welcome to Rock Recovery with Jane Gordon. Join us as we talk with a star-studded lineup of rock musicians, performance artists, and the ones who love them as they share their unique and memorable journeys through addiction, redemption, and reawakening. Here, we explore true stories of addiction, healing, and recovery from the pantheon of rock music and beyond. And now, your host for Rock Recovery, Jane Gordon. Hello, 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 and welcome to Rock Recovery, a show and a podcast that's here to inspire and bring hope to the personal stories of some of rock and roll's truly, truly greatest legends. And as always, this show is dedicated to my beloved son, Spencer, my personal rock star, who I lost to alcohol addiction at just 28 years old. That's why we're here. And uh, I can't tell you how excited I am about today's episode. Uh, My next guest is perhaps one of my very favorite rock stars and humans on the planet for many reasons. Um, There are many iconic and memorable figures in heavy metal, but there's only one rock god. In a career spanning over 50 years, Rob Halford has forged an everlasting presence in the hearts and minds of millions of fans as the true god of metal. As the front man for the legendary heavy metal band Judas Priest, and as the writer and performer of some of the greatest songs of all time, Rob is the ultimate definition of the genre itself and one of the most influential musicians and artists in the history of music. And in January, amazingly, Rob quietly celebrated his 36th year of sobriety. Gosh, congratulations, and reflected on a journey that never ends. And I quote, Rob says, I think about it all the time in terms of drinking alcohol. It's an addiction. Rock Recovery is pleased and honored to welcome the God of Metal himself, Mr. Rob Halford. Rob, thank you so much for your time and your testimony. Hello, Jane. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm thrilled to be with you today. Thank you for the invite, Jane. I'm looking forward to our conversation together. I'm just so grateful to have you. And and as I just mentioned in the intro, in, in recently in January, you celebrated 36 years of sobriety. Uh, congratulations. Uh, reflecting on that milestone, uh, what are some of your thoughts about it and the journey? Here, by the grace of God, that's uh, how we can start this. I mean, the um, the whole story of sobriety, sobriety for myself is linked to my spirituality, which I discovered right from the very beginning of my sober journey. Um and something that lives with me day by day, hour by hour. And and really that is truly the anchor that I cling on to as I go through my life one day at a time. And when these um, anniversary (laughs) dates come along year after year, Firstly, I say my sobriety prayer. I thank the Lord for another year of sobriety. And um, it truly is one day at a time. And those days accumulate to weeks and months and years and decades. So you put all that together. And here uh, we are right now at this moment in time, talking in in a sober life. And uh, I'm blessed. That's the only thing I can say is I'm truly blessed and grateful that um, 
these days that I enjoy are so clean and so pure. That's that's amazing. And in relations to your career, obviously mo- most rock fans are aware of your great success, but not everyone may know. How did you get your start, and when did the drugs and alcohol become dominant in your lifestyle? Uh, most musicians will tell you a similar story of um, working with your peers, surrounding yourself with people that you admire and that you look to for inspiration. And in rock and roll, uh, it's a fact, as we've seen so many, many times, that um, alcohol and drug addiction has been in there, in the music, right from day one. You go back through the history of rock and roll and all kinds of music. There's something in the background there where an artist had their demons to battle when it comes to alcohol or drugs. And so it was for me, and again, I think many musicians will tell you this similar story, the way that it creeps into your life. It's there with you. It's always lurking in the background and you're really not aware of it until you hit, you hit that critical point of making a change in your life. And then you realize how this addiction has taken over. And so for me, I, I, as, I, as I progressed through my early days of early weeks, maybe months of sorority, I realized that my addiction to, to alcohol and drugs had been going on for, for a number of years. I was one of these people that said, oh, I can handle my drink, I can handle my drugs. My drug of choice was cocaine. And cocaine didn't really come into the picture until quite later on as far as that part of my addiction. But the, the alcohol, I can remember, Jane, those first drinks, I think I was maybe 15 or 16 years of age. I'd just started to work at a theatre in Wolverhampton called the Grand Theatre. And um, I was working there and it was the, the course of the day would finish, the show would finish. And a lot of the entertainers and the stage people would go to the bar upstairs at the theatre and just chill and relax and talk about the show and this, that and the other. And I remember having my first drink. And I'll I'll never forget this. It was a rum and black. And what I mean by that is it's rum with black currant juice. Mm. And I'd never had that kind of strong alcohol before. I'd had a sip of beer or two as a kid, like most of us have done possibly. But that was my first um, real strong alcoholic drink. And I remember the feeling, uh, it was so um, overwhelming, the, the feeling of the alcohol going into my system. And I remember getting drunk there and then. As a young young guy, 15 or 16 years of age, two or three of those Roman blacks, and you know, you, you, you're completely inebriated. So my, my induction <laughs> into alcoholism started from day one from that moment on i could not have a social drink it was like a pandora's box being open i could not drink socially i always drank to get drunk 
So the disease of alcoholism was in my system, even as a young person. So we progress forward into my adult life as a musician and things start to get amplified. Naturally, you're surrounded more and more by people that are already in this life, but we're all supporting each other and we're not acknowledging the fact that what we have is an addiction and a, dis and a disease to whatever our choice of, of, uh, of, of what it was that was coming into our bodies and taking over. So it's a long, long story through my teenage years into my young adult years. And uh, 36 years ago, I uh, came to that point where you, you hit rock bottom. You have to hit rock bottom. And then you make the call to help. And uh, so for me, it was, it was quite a tumultuous journey. And I think for those people that I've talked to, many, many people over the years, we have a similar story to tell as far as how the, um, the addiction crept in to our day-to-day -day existence. We were not aware of it until somebody either tapped us on the, sh the shoulder or had a heart-to-heart -heart with us. And we came to the understanding that we need to do something about what's going on in our lives. Or as sadly was the case with Spencer, um, the, uh, this terrible moment of losing loved ones and friends can, can hit us. Yeah, absolutely. And with him, I think as a young teenager, he started off by, it was a social thing and let's go get drunk. But with him, it became a physical addiction to the point where, and people, I didn't even understand that as his mother, that he, he said to me, mom, you don't understand. I have to drink or I shake or I, I can't function. It became that dominant in his life. Um, and for that reason, it was a whole new awakening for me because everyone said, oh, it's a choice, it's a choice, it's a choice. And he got to the point where it wasn't a choice. And that was a whole new awakening for me. And it was, it was, it was eye-opening, to say the least. And, you know, you're right. When you talk about the rock and roll lifestyle and its propensity for promoting addictive behavior, um, in my recent interview with Alice, with Alice Cooper, um, he said, you know, when I started off, it, it used to be cool to be high and drunk when you were in a band. I mean, you, you, you were like the poster children for that. You promoted it. And he said, now, now, now and, you know, he's out touring, uh, uh, continues on. He said, it feels like being sober now is cool with the younger bands now that are up and coming. Do you, have you witnessed this? Are you seeing a change in behavior out there? It's been remarkable, yes. It's remarkable that, that that side of what Alice is talking about has become an absolute fact. Nowadays, when the tour buses pull up and the guys and the guys and the girls climb off the tour bus, they go to the, the baggage bay under the tour bus and they pull out weights and skip ropes and <laughs> things that, that keep you healthy. You know, whereas before we would run to the nearest uh, drink, the nearest bar in town, the nearest club in town. Now we're seeing this beautiful 360-degree turn of events. And that's, that's just perfect. That is just the way it needs to be. It's true. When you come 
stage at night, your adrenaline is roaring. It's absolutely roaring like a, a train. And so much of us want to keep that feeling going. I tell the story in, in my autobiography, Confess, that I would come off stage and my first, the first thing that I would do would be to down, you know, large cans of Budweiser, three or four of those, and then start drinking Dom Perignon. That was nearly every night. Uh, how did I do that? <laughs> how did I physically do that? Of course, the next morning, you feel terrible. You have a horrible hangover. You get through the day, and by the time it's showtime, you need a drink to calm yourself down and to get ready for another show. And so the cycle repeats itself. And to be in this place now where we have a lot more openness with bands, where we discuss our addictions, where we discuss our mental condition, because that's another, that's another issue that runs side by side with a lot of us that uh, are recovering. Um, the mental state of mind uh, is also very prevalent in reaching for a drink or reaching for a drug. In Spencer's case, it was physical. He had to, he had to, to drink to function. Mm. Whereas a lot of us, and myself included, because of the mental state that I was at, I needed a drink. I'll feel better when I when I have a drink. And of course, that's a myth. That absolutely is a myth. What makes you feel better is speaking to somebody, just sitting down and talking. That must, that's what makes you feel feel better mentally. So the combination for me was not only the the uh, the lifestyle, as Alice puts it so well. Yeah, it's cool to be seen, you know, falling over in a club or falling over in the street and people would laugh and smile and take pictures. No, that's what they do. That's that's how they're supposed to be. This ridiculous place that we got to that was just a lie. So I have friends, I have wonderful friends that have that have become sober and we, we stay in touch as we do for each other. And it's just so great to see how the opportunities are endless for those of us that want to make that change, make that change and see the incredible amount of love and support and care that's waiting for you. But you have to make that change yourself. It has to come from you. It's that wonderful rebirth day. You have another birthday. My sober, my annual sober event is a birthday for me because I felt like I was reborn on the, on the day I became sober 36 years ago. So as far as your sobriety, and you kind of just touched on this, you, you just came off tour. Um, how has it prolonged and enriched your career? And how is, what are the challenges you face in, in not knowing if the other band members are sober or if they're not, and how you face that? Okay, let me, let me just reflect on the second part of, of this. Um, control... <laughs> Control in life is just a great part of recovery. You, you have to admit your powerlessness 
And that's just such a crazy difficult thing to do, to admit that you're powerless in, in life. People go, oh, how can that be? You, you have to be in that place where you have to really let everything go. And so I can't let my mind go to the thoughts of what if this band member or what if that mem band member or what if that crew member is, is doing this, that, that or the other. Because then you're moving from powerlessness into control. You're controlling other people. So you have to learn to let that go. You have to learn to accept that people will make their decisions that, that they base on their own choice of, through whatever series of events it is. You're only a spectator. You're only a spectator. And the only time that you have a voice is when somebody asks you to either intervene or to have an opinion or a feeling, whatever that might be. So that's how that's how you have to really function day to day when you're on tour in a band. I tell this great story of my first ever solo show at the Tingley Coliseum in New Mexico, uh, in Albuquerque. It was the Turbo Tour. I'd only been sober for barely a few weeks. And before I would use before before I go on stage, I'd always have a couple of vodka and tonics. That was just a ritual. So now <clears throat> I'm ready to go on stage. Remarkable thing was, Jane, I've, I've never felt so calm in my life. I just felt like I was in a really peaceful, serene place. And I know now that was my higher power at work. But going up onto that stage and giving that performance, that first sober performance in my entire career, 30 odd years ago, I can't, uh, I can't tell you how profound that feeling was. I, I was literally walking on air, not only because I was performing without a drink under my belt, but I was tuned in to all of the things that were going on around me. The music, the performance, the fans, the night, the experience. I was completely dialed into every aspect of that performance. So I, I came off stage and talk about being high on, on life, <laughs> being high on, on, on being sober. There is such a thing. There is such a thing. And I feel it now after every pre-show when I come off stage. My adrenaline, is, my adrenaline is roaring, but I'm in this wonderful, peaceful, serene place. And uh, that's how I feel every time I walk to a stage now. I just feel very, very calm and blessed and grateful to be able to do what I do as a musician and to do it in a sober state. And, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about you had to hit rock bottom and someone had to come and, you know, say, hey, we're concerned about you. We care about you. Can you tell us a little bit about how your family and friends, how the addiction affected them? And then and then in retrospect, how sobriety has affected those relationships? I found out later that my, my family and my, my friends were aware of the place I was at, what I was going through. And it's that, it's that thing where love, when you love somebody, sometimes you still can't get the message through. You, you're, you're afraid of what might come back at you. 
you know, you're afraid to speak out. You're, you're afraid of either facing the consequences of your of your questioning, and it, it, it's a very it's a very difficult thing to to really express to to someone that you love so deeply. Um, I think partly because you're probably afraid of yourself of the of the of the answer or the facts. Um, you're afraid of being pushed away, and so. It wasn't. It was only until I became my, got into my sober life that my family and my friends opened up and said, "Yeah, we knew there was something going on." You know, we spoke to this person or that person, and you know, we we didn't know what to do. So there's an awareness that you yourself are not aware of until you get into that sober experience. But for me, I was here in Phoenix, and. Um, I was at that really deep, dark place where you simply couldn't go any further. And I was with a friend who was there when I said, this is it, I need help. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've really got to get something done here because uh, you know, I, I don't know what else to do. So uh, my friend took me to um, the, the facility at JC Lincoln Hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, they checked me in. Uh, I was I was as, as high as anything, but again, Jane, you know, I, I remember looking back at that. that, that, that there, there was like a there was like a light switch went on in in my life where where once more there was this feeling of calm that okay, you've you've made this choice now. It's up to you to follow through on this decision, and you're in this facility where you're meeting people like yourself that are not in the rock and roll business that come from all walks of life mm -hmm. and in the 30 days that i was in there um, i met some beautiful people and again your your sober existence is based on the connections that we have with each other and so suddenly we, we you know we sit in the room together and we talk about our lives and, and how we got to this place it's such a beautifully powerful and empowering place to be where people share very private and intimate details with complete strangers. Mm -hmm. But as we know in sobriety, that's, that's the case for, for all of us. We have these, these things that we suddenly want to become open and honest and truthful about. And that's another part of me that developed in my sober life that um that you you can't hide things anymore firstly you don't need to hide anything what is it to hide and equally you realize that you know not telling the truth or hiding behind something isn't a healthy way to live so that you know that that comes back to some of the conversations i had with friends at jc lincoln hiding the bottle of booze under the kitchen <laughs> sink or in a wardrobe or in the car, in the trunk of the car, all of these things, we were all hiding, 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 because we were probably ashamed. We were ashamed. And that's another very natural experience you go through as you decide to make this change in your life. You're ashamed of what you're doing, but because it has so much control over your existence, you feel as though there's nothing that you can do about it. So there I was, I was in I was in um, 
recovery for 30 days and I came out of that recovery a changed person, a changed man and um, I get, was given all the tools that I needed. I was got my blue book, which I have with me all the time, my meditations that I have with me all the time. And so that was a part of my um, day-to-day rituals that, uh, that keep me in this great place. Do you still spend time with that community? Do you, have a, do you ever go back and participate in group discussions, or do you find the need for that? You know, life goes on and, and life has its um, paths that it puts before you. Um, I'll say something now and, and, and tell me if I'm mistaken, Jane, but I, re- I read somewhere, I, I heard Alice say one time that he, he's never been to a, a meeting in his life. That's true. I don't know whether he's, I don't know whether he's uh, told that to you. Well, you just said that's true. No, so, he has said that to me many times. I, you know, let me just say, if there's anyone listening and you're going to meetings, please keep going to the meetings. Mm-hmm. The meetings are vital. They're absolutely vital. Uh, for myself, I, I have no reason or excuse to talk about why I didn't attend meetings. Um, all I can say is that that was, that was the destiny that was that was there waiting for me that um that i never i never had the uh i won't say the opportunity because i did have the opportunity i was given all of the numbers to call and places to visit and so on and so forth but when a kind of a revolution like this happens to some of us um it's enough it's enough now, I, I have friends who are sponsors, and they would say, oh, there, there goes Rob again, you know, taking control. And it's a great discussion because we, we kind of laugh about it. And they say, you need to go to meeting. I don't need to go to meeting. You're controlling, you're controlling. And so we all have these wonderful conversations about what's best for each of us, you know. So there I am after 30 days uh, back at the, the house and just feeling reborn. And um, the tools that I have, as I've mentioned, uh, are part of my day-to-time existence, and they work for me. It works for me. Yeah, and I think that's key, too, is it's not cookie as cookie-cutter as some people think it is. I think it's different for everyone. Alice has said that many times. Alice always says, I don't have a sponsor, I have a savior. And that's his famous line to me. That's, no, there, there you go. And that's, that's, he, that's no. what he says. And he said, you know, but I, I'm, he's not discouraging people to be part no. of those communities. He just said, I was, as he said, I was a pure miracle. You know, yes. he, he said, God saved me. And, yes. and for me, that's what worked. And, and then, of course, he switched to playing golf like a madman <laughs> because he said, I'm always going to be an addict. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I started to play golf. And we, you know where that took us. <laughs> so yes, yes, <laughs> that yes, is to, so to true. Um, um, yeah, let me just say no, that um, the, the, this this great this great part of recovery linked to your uh, spirituality is uh, for some of us it's difficult, you know, because again we become controlling and we go, well, if God loves me, why did God let this happen? <laughs> that's a great cop out <laughs> it's god's <laughs> fault <laughs> no it's not 
Um, but the whole area of finding your higher power, no matter what it might be, uh, an understanding that your higher power can be a tree, <laughs> a cactus in the garden, a bird. It can be a another person. Oh, it's just it's just absolutely beautiful the way that your higher power can be anything of your choice that gives you a focus to tune into because we're, we're surrounded by so much clutter from the moment we wake up there's so much clutter going on around us whether it's on the television on the radio on the internet or whatever it might be there are all of these things that are come kind of bombarding us from all points and there's a way to there's a way to let all of that go again you know and i find now that i'm in tune all the time i'm in tune all the time there's there's this, this there's this great endless resource of peace and, and calmness and serenity and tranquility it's just waiting it's just it's there it is there all the time but if you're distracted, if you're pushing it away from you, you're just losing something that's just the most beautiful gift that we have. Hmm. And so um, to be able to uh, tune in completely to your spirituality, however you define it, again, is an incredibly important resource of recovery. So for those of us that are dealing with getting through the day, without a drink or a drug. Um, it's just the fact of life that you need that, that spiritual connection. You have to have it. You cannot simply move on to this, this place that's waiting for you without finding that, um, that higher power um, moment. And when you do find that higher power moment, it's another rebirth, it's another mm -hmm great place of comfort that's always there and and um sustains you uh, day to day and, and you you uh have a new book coming out uh biblical rob halford's <laughs> <Yes>. heavy heavy <laughs> metal scriptures uh love the name well can you tell us yes. a little bit about it as much as you're allowed to and, well, and what, what can we expect <laughs> i love it first, yeah first of all uh, I'm sure my higher power is chuckling that I'm using these words like confess and metal guard and biblical. Um, there's a, <laughs> and then, and that's, that's me channeling, channeling all of the, the Holy spirit and everything into everything that I do. Amen. So, uh, biblical is just a, um, it's another, um, series of references and anecdotes. Hey, how did Rob get to the place that he's at, uh, in his profession as a musician? So I tell the stories of, of um, you know, how you how you come to find your bandmates, how you put your band together, you know, how you make your first show happen, how you make a promotion, how you deal with the media. And um, when I say deal with the media, I'm talking about all all of the aspects of media, especially especially social media. I talk about the mental um, issues of dealing with negativity and hostility and hate that's that, that surrounds you. Uh, in the world of, 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 of entertainment, um, how, how do you deal with that? You know, how do you 
how do you push that away push away the negativity and just bring all all of the positivity into your life so it's a lot of it's a lot of everything really it, it, it's a great opportunity this guy that that i worked on the confess book with ian gittings who's just mm -hmm. become a wonderful friend in my life um when we finished uh, making the book confess we immediately thought about the other opportunities we wanted to be with each other firstly because he's just an incredible incredible guy as a as a writer as a journalist and um we love each other's company and uh he's from my neck of the woods so you know he, he trod the same streets as i i did as a young person uh, and as an adult because i whenever whenever i go home to warsaw that's my home that's my birthplace um so we talked about what else can we talk what else is there to talk, talk about because you talked about every intimate honest aspect of your life as a as a, as a person with confess right. and now let's just talk about some of the interesting um discussions and stories that that uh, all of us have to go through in in the music profession to get from a to b and to z and to whatever else you want to make the journey on so bi biblical is that and um we went a great time writing the book um it's full of, uh, I hope, uh, interesting mm -hmm. and, and uh, amusing um, stories that you can uh, that you can enjoy and um, put to use. What a wonderful way to spend your time, Dave. Is it, is it uh, valid that you you spent time working on this during the COVID time? Yes. Yeah, because you I were mean, you were probably again. finding something to do that had to be for people. As you know, during COVID, the addiction rates just went sky high. People yes, couldn't absolutely. attend meetings in person. People couldn't, you know, and is this a way that you channeled your time, this book? I was did. It? Yeah. I did. Mm -hmm. It was, It was again, you know, no matter how dark life can be, uh, no matter how, how deep the challenge can be, suddenly out of the blue is an opportunity to work on this book. It was, mm -hmm. <laughs> again, my power's like, okay, you're not going to be doing anything for a, for a couple of years so you're going to be doing this okay you're going to be doing this book fine i'm ready let's do something and so for for a couple of years that's where i was um that's where i was focused on and um and yes i was aware of of, of the way that um addictions began began to to climb not only you know alcohol and and drugs but um people uh, you know eating too much or just not getting any exercise or right. all of these things just creep into your life because wow the thing you look at what what was happening to people around the world the horrible horrible uh, tragedies that people were facing through through this terrible uh, pandemic lives being beautiful lives being taken away from beautiful people um so uh to have this opportunity to kind of focus onto uh, the, the book was uh, was again was something incredibly useful to me, and uh, I was able to every day um, be immersed in that side of the, the creative process of putting the the book together. So um, we got through to the other end. I was there on day one. I was I just got back to Phoenix in March of whatever it was a couple of years ago just got back to Phoenix from having one of the writing sessions from our, for our new record. And I got back and I remember within 48 hours, Phoenix closed down. It just closed down. Right. The streets were deserted. The airport was closed. It was just this, what, this ghostly experience of life has come to a complete and utter standstill. 
in the town that I live at here in Phoenix in the Valley. And um, what else can you do? You, you you just focused on on every aspect of information that you that you can grab hold on to. What was what was so profound was the relatively short space of time it took for the vaccines to appear um, because it was an incredibly challenging uh, virus to mm-hmm. the scientists for the, for the for the scientists the people that knew what they were talking about um, to to grab a hold onto and to give us this great gift and uh, I was first in line as soon as I was able to uh, get the the shots on the booster i'm going to get the next booster before i head back to england shortly um so yes uh it was so the other thing about that jane was that i think for the first time in a long time human consciousness human connectivity was with us because we knew it wasn't just this town this country it was worldwide. Mm-hmm. There was a great empathy. There was a great affinity brought about by this horrible, um, these horrible circumstances. We came, we became closer together as people, and I think we be, we began to understand just how fragile life can be for all of us on this planet, and that more than anything, we need each other. We need each other to survive, not only through the pandemic, but just as people. We need each other. We've only got one life. We've only got one planet, you know, and we need each other to to be to be able to live. So, just in in terms of perception, I'm sure how all of us looked and listened to what was going on around us, and to the place that we're at now, where we were in the endemic side of of, the, of that tragedy. Um, it was quite remarkable, really. Uh, so for those of, for those of you that made the, the decision to, um, get to the place where you need, you, you needed the help, you needed the change in your life and you, you're on that journey. I say, God bless you. And I love you. And, um, the, the fact that we're, that we're all connected in the sober world. No matter where you are on the planet, we're all connected. We're all fighting the same uh, internal addictive demons. No matter where you are in the world, we are all connected. There's this great, um, again, united feeling of compassion and consciousness of loving and caring for each other. Even though we may never meet, we are all connected. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a blessing. Sure is. And finally... And you were just leaning towards it. What what are you working on, or what is important to you, whether it's a charity or a cause uh, that helps you pay forward what you learn going through recovery and and overcoming addiction? Um, how do you help others, or how do you want to help others? In what ways? You obviously speak so well about it, and you share your story, which really helps people. Is there anything else that is really special to you? Well, I think that, that that one that one this one opportunity in its in a, in and of itself is, is important. Um, as I as I become older, you know, I'm, uh, 
70 trips around the sun. <laughs> I think there's a very natural inclination as you face mortality to really want to pay, you know, pay for to, to, to do whatever you can. So that, that can be anything, can't it, really? I can just be texting your friend, how you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, something, some, sometimes the simplest things in life are the most profound. Um, as we, as we mentioned, Alice, let's, let's mention this great foundation, the, the Solid Rock mm -hmm. um, organization that he has here in the Valley. I, I love what, it, I love what that provides. Mm -hmm. A safe place for at risk uh, um, people, uh, young adults. A place where you can learn something, learn to play an instrument, uh, learn how a recording studio works, learn how to paint, how to sculpt. Um, creativity, creativity, again, is this incredibly bottomless well of wealth and, and, and opportunity to bring, um, to bring great things into your life. And that's what Alice's Foundation is providing for hundreds, if not thousands, of people here in the valley. So, to to be involved, just to go and sing a few songs and to meet friends for the first time, as well, as I'll be doing shortly, take some pictures, have a chat, you know, um, open as many doors as you possibly can. And I'm I'm here for anything like that, you know, when, when time permits, um, because. Uh, that's that's just another fact of life you know we we should always consider that we're here for each other there are really no strangers in your life everybody that you pass on the street isn't a stranger because we're all living the same life we, we've all got the same um, challenges we're all dealing with very very similar circumstances some of us are happy some of us are mad some of us are lonely some of us are wanting and needing and in many ways, but we're all connected again. There are no strangers in life. So these are little nuggets, pearls of wisdom, whatever you want to want to call them. You acquire this as you stay sober. You, you're bringing all of these um, moments into your life that were always there, but now you you have enlightenment, enlightenment to 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 understand and to go yeah okay now i know what that means now i know how that feels so uh, in that respect as we said at the start of our chat the journey never does end it's an ongoing endless eternal journey that you pass from one person to the next to the from this life to the next i'm so excited about the next life um but all of these, uh, all of these, this wealth of, of, of living and, and loving and caring and nurturing and paying it forward is what makes us tick. Well, Rob, I can't tell you how grateful we are uh, for your time, your testimony, and just your wisdom and your love. And we are also so grateful for all the support you give Alice's charity um, and coming out and always being there for us. You've been, uh, you know, just a true hero to us. And the, the teens look up to you, and uh, you've made a difference, and you continue to do so. So thank you so much for joining me. Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I send my love to you and to everybody that's been listening. Um, I know there's at least one of you that's been listening to our conversation right now, and you're gonna make that change. And I love you for that. 
please do it. Uh, rebirth. Oh, wow. It's just, I get tingles thinking about it. So if only, if only even one of you that's, that's listened to, to Jane and myself talk today takes that first step, that's a blessing and grab it and, 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 and enjoy it and, and, and live a new life. I've, I've had a wonderful time, Jane. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much I really, Rob. I really, 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 this has been very special. I appreciate so it. So thank you. And I look forward to seeing you very soon, we'll Jane. We'll see you soon. And I'm going to close out with my favorite motto uh, that hung at my son's rehab and always stuck with me is the pain you feel today is the strength you'll feel tomorrow. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be worth it. Thanks so much for Amen joining. Amen to that. Amen, Amen to that. Thank you, Jane. Thank bye you, bye. Rob. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Rock Recovery with Jane Gordon. Join us here each week as we talk with a star-studded lineup of rock musicians, performance artists, and the ones who love them as they share their unique and memorable journeys through addiction. Join us again next week right here or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Mm.